0: Last week we uh, studied a parable in uh, Luke uh, chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and and, uh, during August here we're going to be looking at parables, Uh, today we're going to be looking at two parables in Luke 15, and then next week we're going to look at a third parable from Luke 15. So if uh, you need a Bible and would like to use one of the bridges just above your hand, we will hand out some extra Bibles here, you're always welcome. You're welcome to grab one when you come in, and if you don't have one, we'll... Bring one to you. And, hey, if you don't have a Bible at home, you want to take one of these, you can do that too. We're going to be at Luke chapter 15. That's on page 726. Violet Bailey and Samuel Booth were engaged to be married in 1941. They were walking through the English countryside and they stopped to talk and they got into a heated discussion. In fact, it was so heated that Violet took off her most valuable possession, her engagement ring, and she threw it as far as she could. Now, Violet and Samuel continued their discussion, and apologies were made. And finally they kissed and they made up, and then they went to look for the ring. They looked and they searched and they got down on their hands and knees and they hunted for that ring and they never found it. Two months later, Violet and Samuel were married. They lived happily ever after, almost, and um, Samuel died in 1993 after 52 years of marriage. Fifteen years later, in 2008... Violet and Samuel's grandson got an idea. He went and bought a metal detector. And he decided to go back to where that fatal argument, it wasn't fatal, where the argument (laughs) took place. Some of you have tempers like that, don't you? Um, And he decided to search. And after searching for about two hours, he found the ring. And with great pride and joy, he took that most valuable possession back to Violet, and she was astonished, and it brought brought back a flood of memories. That which was lost had been found sixty seven years later. I think Jesus would have liked that story. Something lost, something found. It has some sad parts and it has a happy part. Jesus told some stories about lost things, and he especially did in Luke chapter 15. So I hope you'll turn to Luke 15 if you're not there already. Um, And I think that's on page 726, if you're using one of the Bridge Bibles, page 726. And it begins in verses 1 through 7 with the story of the lost sheep, the lost sheep story. The occasion in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, that is to hear Jesus. Jesus often gathered a crowd of people. They came to hear Jesus. They came to learn from Jesus. They came to see Jesus. They even came to touch Jesus The uh, tax collectors were very unpopular in Israel. You may know something about the tax collectors, but just look at it this way. Here we are in Israel. This is uh, where the Jewish people live. And Rome rules the world, and Rome is taxing the world, and so Rome hires tax collectors, or kind of the IRS, but much worse. Because there really weren't any rules with tax collecting, other than you had to pay Rome what you owed Rome, and everything else was income for the tax collector. And tax collectors could make as much as they could get away with. And so they weren't very popular with uh, the hometown crowd. Sinners was a term used by the religious crowd. Uh, they, re- they used the word uh, sinners to-, to refer to people who were far from God. They were, irreligious. Um, the religious crowd were the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the Levites. And the sinners was a term used by this religious crowd. They used it of everybody but themselves. In verse two, we have the criticism. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." And just let me just say the obvious here: the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the, the clergy, the trained professionals of the day. They were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. Of uh, God's people in Israel. And this is the religious crowd. It says that they muttered. It means they grumbled or they complained. And they were talking in low voices like people sometimes do in the gospel. They were muttering about Jesus. The problem was this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, That didn't fit with their theology. Their theology was, if they knew that their God was to be holy. God is holy. He wants his people to be holy. And so their takeaway on this was, we can't be with sinners. And we must separate ourselves from sinners. Because God hates sinners. And he loves us. Because we are the righteous. We are righteous because of what we do. We do things and we keep rules and we seek to honor God by doing. And so they had created this, uh, their own uh, perspective on how to be holy. And they concluded that Jesus couldn't be holy. He says he's from God. Everybody's saying he's from God. They concluded Jesus can't be holy because he spends time, spends time with sinners and tax collectors so they see this as a pretty significant problem in fact that's going to be the problem of this story the problem of this parable um, let me just make a quick comment about parables a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning we kind of talked about that last week that's a really good Sunday school definition it's probably good for most adults too heavenly, uh, earthly story heavenly meaning What does that mean? One of the things it means there's going to be primarily one problem in the story and one answer in the story. The danger in interpreting a parable is to look for several details. We call that an allegory. This is not an allegory, it's where you interpret many details into an abstract. There's one question, one problem, and there's going to be primarily one answer when we come to this parable. But Jesus had a reputation. For hanging out with the wrong crowd, according to the religious crowd. Um, you may remember in Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. You have that, Luke chapter 5? Yes. Here's a different situation. It's earlier in the book of Luke, earlier in Jesus' ministry. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. This is pretty cool. Levi, his name is also Matthew. Matthew will become a follower of Jesus. He's not here. He's a tax collector at this point. You know, he's all about money. He's all about taking advantage of other people and getting as much money as possible for himself. Then Levi held a great banquet. He held a party. Big party. This is about fun. This is about celebration. This was about uh, getting people together that, that uh, were irreligious that included prostitutes, uh, over drinking, uh, just people who wanted to get together and have a good time. Great food. Verse thirty, and and G- and verse thirty. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" And there's that concept. Jesus hanging out with the wrong crowd again. Next. Like, Jesus answered that it was not for the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus is just, just very practical here. He said, I didn't come to the healthy, but I came to the sick. Those who are spiritually sick, so to speak. Uh, those people who need God. And I didn't come for those who are healthy. I've not come come to call the righteous. Now, here's one of the things that he's sort of saying in the underlying current here is um, there's a group of people who think they're righteous. And they're the religious leaders. The the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Scribes, the teachers of the law. And they think they got it all together. And they don't need Jesus. They're going to do things their way. They're not going to pay attention to what God is saying through his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, okay, I'm not coming for you. I'm coming for those who know they're sinners. For those who uh, to, he, he's come to call sinners to repentance. The idea is to turn to, back to God. To turn from uh, their sin and to turn to God. And, and we call that conversion. About turning uh, from our former lives to following Christ. And, and to do that, first of all, we have to place our faith in Christ. Know who Jesus is and to know what he's done for us, that he paid the penalty for our sin, turning to Christ. No, we're not perfect after that. But that's what repentance is. It's, it's turning to God and asking God to help us deal with our sin. So, uh, the question is, uh, do you welcome people who are far from God and eat with them like Jesus did. Jesus spent time with people who weren't in the religious ground. Now this is kind of significant for us because, uh, for example, one study says that when a person comes to faith in Christ, now we're talking about an adult here, they typically have about 20 people on average in their lives that they share Jesus with. People who don't know Christ and they have people in their lives that they relate to that they have opportunities to talk about God okay relationships what happens is the longer people are Christians they start breaking off their relationships with people who don't know Christ yet so by year 3 they've gone from about 20 to down to 8 people and by year 8 they don't know anybody or they're not really in a serious relationship with anybody that they talk about Jesus to that's a sad state of affairs what happens with us sometimes as we become followers of Christ we just get in and we hang out with Christians and we do Christian things and we hang out with Christian people and we don't take what we have to share with other people and Jesus is the ultimate model of hanging out with people of all kinds and um, we don't find him criticizing them we find him developing relationships and getting into discussions with them Okay, the story, the actual parable is verses 3 through 6. Then Jesus told them this parable. So here comes the story. And again, it's, his story is every day. It's, a, it's what people see in their lives. And then he's going to bring a truth in of spiritual reality. So he says this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? really common thing in Israel, still common today to see sheep out in the country and shepherds tending the sheep. This is a really big deal uh, in the first century, uh, a really important part of life. Sheep of a hundred, a herd of a hundred, kind of a medium-sized, not really big, but not small either. And so he says, suppose one of you, this is how Jesus engaged people. He's putting it right back to them. Think about this if it were you. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and at night time, it's time to take stock. Are they all here? Okay, we got to do a count. One, two, 98, 99. Uh-oh. One's missing. Let's count them again. One's still missing. We've got to go. We've got to go find it. this one. And so, this shepherd is going to leave. And he said, who wouldn't? If it were you, you would do it. And counts the sheep. And uh, says he would go after the lost sheep. For how long? Until he finds it. Not going to give up. He's going to search. He's going to search. He's going to sh- search. He's going to find what's happened to this sheep. Verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Do you ever lose a dog? Have the dog run off and you go after him? I can remember doing this as a kid. And then when I find the dog, what do I do? You stupid dog, you know? (laughs) The shepherd here just puts the sheep on it. Doesn't scold the sheep. Uh, Just takes it back home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He's so thankful. It was valuable to him. And he searches. And now he wants to tell everybody. "I I was stressed. I was in a little crisis here. And, oh, I found it. Let's just thank God together. Let's Let's celebrate. Let's uh, let's have a party. Now the story has two essential ingredients: one, a search, and two, a celebration. Sheep was lost, and then resources put for finding a search. And then, hey, we found the lost sheep, and we have a celebration, and. Uh, The lesson is simple. And this is the answer to the problem. This is the answer to the parable. Verse 7. I tell you, Jesus said, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You see, the issue is about sinners who repent. People who turn to God from their sin. uh, Who... Uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ and then begin to follow Jesus. You know, a simple explanation of repentance is, you know, I've told my story a lot of times, but the first 25 years of my life, I was going this way. I didn't know which way I was going. But I was going away from God. And the, the older I got, the farther away from God, got God that I did get by my choices and lifestyle. Then on September 29th, 1974, about 4.30 in the morning, I placed my faith in Christ. And then, very slowly, I made a change. God enabled me to make a change. Then I began to follow Christ. And it wasn't a perfect course, but it was a totally new direction, following Christ. That's conversion. That's repentance. Turning to God. Sometimes we get way off the course And we have to repent and come back to the course. But that's what it means to repent. That's what it means to follow Christ. So the lesson is this. God throws a party in heaven when one person comes to faith in Christ. Look at that. Did you see that in verse 7? I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. By the way, in the first century, the Jewish people didn't like to mention God's name. They were careful. And Jesus is communicating with them in language they understand. He's saying there will be rejoicing in heaven. What's he talking about? That's a place where God is. God is going to be rejoicing. You talk when you want to talk about God, you talk about heaven in the first century. He says, "I tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over nine, nine. Jesus is showing you God's heart. Jesus is showing us how God values people. And he makes a comparison here over 99 righteous persons. Now, um, it could be, uh, I think one application here is the, the Pharisees and scribes, they think they're righteous. If you got 99 of them and you've got one tax collector who wants to repent, heaven is going to celebrate about one person comes to faith. One person who humbles himself before God and admits uh, that they're a sinner and places their faith in the truly living God. And uh, the application that we made, what about 99 who are already believers in Jesus and will God leave them? Well, you know what? Their future is secure. There's already been a celebration in heaven for each one of them. God's promises are already true every one of them to all 99 of those people. And God is not leaving them alone. He's promised never to leave or forsake them. But he is going to search. And he is going to tell he finds that one person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So that's our lesson. Now think about this. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ if that's a decision you've already made. You may have been four years old. Guess what? There was a celebration in heaven over you. Maybe you didn't know that. If you were 44 years old when you placed your faith in Christ, there was a celebration in heaven for you. Or if you were 84. I don't see any 84-year-olds in the room today. But uh, God celebrates every time a person comes to faith in Christ. (coughs) Because he loves you. He loves every person. Okay, that's the uh, story of the lost sheep. And now the story of the lost coin, verses 8 through 10. And the story comes quickly in verse 9. Or suppose a woman, so we've talked about a man, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Now, some scholars think the ten silver coins might be the dowry this woman was given. And it it was uh, a tradition, it was customary to to wear the dowry as a headdress. Uh, around their head 10 coins possible or just maybe this is her life savings she has 10 silver coins and uh, the point is Jesus is telling a story for us so that we can learn something he's not necessarily telling a story of something that actually happened it was just a common everyday experience kind of thing It says, does she she not light a lamp? That's because houses typically were very small and sometimes had no windows, or if they had windows, they were very small windows, and and the doors were small, and she would need to light a lamp to see anything inside the house. Does she not light a lamp lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And then we're going to see that search again. But she's going to sweep the floor. Why is that? Well, a lot of the floors were just Hard dirt floors, or sometimes stone floors, and then they put straw over the top. So, all you had to do to clean up your mess was just sweep up a little straw, and throw it out. So, she had to sweep her house and sweep the straw out and go through it to look for that coin. And she did it carefully until she finds it. And verse 9, and when she finds it, she calls her friends. Oh boy, guess what she's going to do? She says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Or my lost engagement ring. Uh, When she finds her lost coin, she is so thankful. One of the things I think is true is people don't appreciate celebrations if they're not thankful people. And uh, I think I've learned a lot about learning to celebrate, because I have not liked to celebrate in my life. I have looked at the cost, and I am cheap, and I didn't <laughs> want to spend the money to celebrate. So in my early years, even to go out on a date and spend money was not easy for me to do. Fortunately, God has been very patient, and so has my wife. But Learn to celebrate because we're thankful because we have something to celebrate we have something to rejoice about and just like this woman found her coin that's the reason to celebrate now Jesus is teaching a point here which is much bigger than the coin the essential ingredients again are the search uh, a search for the coin and the celebration. That's what Jesus is going to want us to see. The lesson is in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. This is an amazing thing. Jesus is giving us a little glimpse of heaven that we don't see. More rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And Jesus is just using the language of the first century that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law used, the, the idea of a sinner. The truth is, we're all sinners. The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sinners and they didn't know it. They put themselves on a totally different category than everyone else. They thought they were way up here and that they were pleasing God and that they were holy and they thought the sinners were down here and they thought God hated those people. So stay away that was sort of their their attitude. They were supposed to be shepherds for those people. And they were really disconnected from their role. So God celebrates with angels in heaven every time a person comes to faith in, in Christ. And this is a parable, this is a story about God's heart. There is one question or one problem why does Jesus hang out with these people? It's because of what how God views people, it's because He loves people. John three sixteen. The danger of knowing the Bible is sometimes we just we we know it. We think, oh, I can tell you what that is, and we don't think about what it means. For God so loved the world, that means you. name could be there. He so loves you that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He loves you. He gave his son for you. Um, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love. He loves you. Um, So, the point is that God rejoices over just one person. Question for us, do you rejoice with God when someone you know comes to faith in Christ? Or when you hear about anybody come to faith in Christ? Does that bring you joy? Because that's where God's heart is. And that says a little bit about our heart, what gives us joy. I I confess, I was thinking about this morning, one of the things that really ruined my day yesterday, and you're not going to think this is very important, but Boston beat the Yankees. (laughs) It ruined my day. (laughs) And as I thought about that, man, why do I get so upset? Why why is this so important? It's about my values. And I, I thought about this today, and boy, my values—I get way more concerned about whether the Yankees win or lose sometimes than I do about people sometimes. That's scary. You know, that's a wrong value. Do you rejoice with God when some of you know it comes to faith? In uh, Luke chapter 19 is the story of Jesus meeting another tax collector whose name was Zacchaeus, and on that day Zacchaeus came to faith. Luke 19 verse 10 says this the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus was sharing his heart right there. That was his mission. He came to seek. He's on the lookout. He's searching. And now that means that's our mission too. Because we are the hands and the feet. We are the body of Christ. And now he's given us that mission to search. Jesus never forces himself on anyone. To search and to save the lost. Uh, Those people who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Um, Jesus came to seek and to save. You know, some people don't think they need that. People didn't think they needed it in the first century. Some people don't think they need it today. And he's not going to force himself, he's waiting for people to respond him. And I'm glad that, you know, I told you my, my story. There were people who God placed in my life who wanted to search for me. They wanted to invest time in me. They wanted to talk to me. They wanted to listen to me. They wanted to know me. They wanted to ask questions about what I thought. And they cared about what I thought. They also cared enough that they wanted me to know about Jesus. God used those people in searching for me. And I'm grateful for those people uh, today. John chapter 4, verse 23. Here's another passage. Jesus told this to the woman at the well. Jesus was searching for a relationship with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Sat down by at Jacob's well. Sat down. There was actually Jamesville in the Bible. It's not just the church here. Now. And Jesus sat down and carried on a conversation with a woman who was far from God. And he said this to her. This is toward the end of the conversation. You know, time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is searching for true worshipers. Today, Uh, For people who will be connected with Him spiritually. A true worshiper is connected spiritually. Uh, When a person places their faith in Christ, the Bible says they're born again spiritually. And they get a new nature and they're connected with God. That's why we say our mission is to help people connect with God. And then to worship uh, according to truth, according to the way God is designed in Scripture. God has explained what He wants regarding worship. The danger is is when we go off on our own and we say, well, this is the way we want to do it. And we disconnect from what God says. The Bible talks about praise. The Bible talks about thanksgiving. The Bible talks about giving ourselves. The Bible talks about giving our resources, our money back to God. That's all part of worship the way He has designed it. The Father is seeking worshipers. God's heart is for people. God cares about people. He loves you and He loves me. He loves people far from God so one of the questions is we know God's heart the question is back to us what about our heart so I want to do a little heart check here I think we have a little um, there we go so on a scale of 1 to 10 rate the condition of your heart if 0 means I don't care at all about people far from God I don't care about people who don't know Jesus yet or 10 hey I want to do whatever it takes to reach people far from God where's your heart so write that on on paper and pass it to the center aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eighteen through twenty says this: All of this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you were a follower of Jesus, God has given you and I. A responsibility. It's called a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19: That God was reconciling the world to Himself. He did all the work. It's not about what we do to earn uh, a righteousness before God. It's what God has done for us. He sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins. God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's sins against them. Next slide. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This responsibility is handed to us, the church. We have the message. What is it? Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised again. That's the message. Paid for the penalty of sins. Christ died for us. We have been given that message. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, and so you and I are to be representatives of Jesus Christ. We have that message. We are to live in a way to search for people, to be intentional about building relationships. So after eight years of following Jesus, and I don't know anybody in my world, or I'm not developing relationships with anybody. For purpose of sharing I'm, I'm off track here and so we just we need to know what God thinks about people and that needs to be our heart's desire is to share that good news with other people um, we have a core value of the bridge and we say it this way people far from God matter to him therefore they matter to us that seems really simple, but what happens is yeah, the Bible teaches the people far from God matter Him, but we sometimes get fo- so focused on Christian stuff we get into a bubble, we live in there, and we don't do anything to help other people connect with God. So we want this to be a core value. We want this to be the way we operate. So we've looked at two stories, two parables, something lost, and uh, a search and something found, and time for a celebration. That's God's heart. Teach this to your kids. This is what God values. Be intentional about spending time with people uh, that don't know Jesus yet. Who does God want you to reach out to in your life, to build a relationship with? There are, there are people in your lives that would will be willing, hey, I have time. You know, most people would come to church if somebody would invite them. That's an amazing thing. I don't know why anybody would want to go to church. I didn't go to church. But most people will if somebody will invite them. And of course, it's not just about inviting some to church. It's about a relationship with people. In a couple of minutes, we're going to share communion and remember what Jesus has done for us. Um, right now, let's stand together. and I'd like to pray, and then our band is going to come and be same church. Father, I want to thank you uh, for the privilege to uh, talk about your word and talk about two stories that Jesus told to help us see your heart. And it's exciting to be able to rejoice and see um, how you celebrate in heaven when one person comes to faith in Christ. Lord, may um, our hearts align with your heart would you please grow our hearts and expand our hearts to love people and to be compassionate about people. And Father, we know that in our own strength, we don't have that kind of energy. But when we're walking with you, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can do that. In Jesus' name.